This is Monday, March 20th, the year 2000. Meeting number 2501. First, I'll read what I wrote for this day. The news and the head first headline is what you're up against when you undertake to awake. The presence of thoughts creates in each person the illusion that they are in control of their life. And that's all for the night. I didn't know whether it were going to go that well or not, but I'll just take John's reaction as a let's close up shop. Well, I've got more, but really. Can it? Well, I keep asking rhetorical questions. And I keep doing this, so I'll do this one again. I can still recall the day that that hit me. Because of late, as always, uh, I am not the point. I'm not using me as anyone's example. I don't even want to be like me, so I'm not encouraging you to. But it seems that we've reached the point, in my, from my view, that what is most worthwhile, from my view, potentially, is to tell you what has worked for me. And if it sounds familiar to you or tell you the kinds of views I had or how I looked at the situation, what I've always thought the problem was, the challenge was, which has changed gradually throughout my life. But at any rate, this hit me because I am, well, I was, it doesn't matter, but constantly playing with the ideas, two main ideas, of what is this thing in me that I call me, that I just take as being me, which seemed as though I asked that 40 years ago, and I realized I didn't. <coughs> or if I ever asked it, I never pursued it, and I really realized uh, what a subtle thing it is to try and pursue it. Because normally someone says, who am I? That is, they claim to be involved with some effort to know themselves or to become more familiar with themselves. They come up with an answer. And in our day and time, in our place on this planet, it would normally be a probably a 20 or 30 word sentence. They would be inclined to give it a psychological interpretation about, well, I'm a person, I'm just, you know, of course, making up an example, but they might say, well, after years of study of myself, perhaps even with outside help, but I've come to the conclusion that I am basically, colon, a person from a broken home who had an abusive father and uh, grew up with a certain amount of fear of the opposite sex and probably guilt about any form of success. And then they would say, well, that's kind of what I am. That's what I'm faced with. You know, it tells you nothing. It tell, tells me nothing. As I said, I was, like I think some of you, was kind of underprivileged in that I was never mistreated or abused. And, <laughs> I only had one complaint about childhood, is I couldn't get laid for a long time. It was the only complaint I ever had. <laughs> And nobody would let me try and sing like little Richard after they heard me once. But other than those, and of course, that latter, I can't call that being mistreated. Because I finally heard me on tape and I thought, no, no one has mistreated me. But, uh, and I was constantly involved. And uh, I even, there's a news item tonight about a man who every day found something new concerning awakening, that he discovered something new. Well, it was like I was, I'm assuming you people understand this, that it got to the point that I knew what was going on, so to speak. Or it didn't seem like I was going to get more, I started to say awake, because by then I'd given up. I understood that nobody knew what being awake was. I knew for 30, 40, well, 30 years, I knew exactly what it was. And then I didn't know precisely and I finally came to my senses and realized that I did not know and neither did anybody else. And so there. And so it wasn't a problem of being awake or asleep 
or being enlightened it was, then I undertook a study of, well, what about the hell have I been doing? What is all of this? That if somebody can understand what being awake is, or if anybody can do it, then surely they can understand it. No, I don't know how to describe it. I would even describe it to myself. I just kept poking around at it. And it never did bite me or spit on me bad enough to discourage me, and so I kept poking. <laughs> but one of the things is I would constantly find new ways, interpretations to me of what this thing that I normally thought of as my mind, and I still, even talking to you people, I'm inclined to say my mind tonight. I almost left it exclusively as thoughts the activity, the things that are actually going on rather than this vague something that no one can identify and call it certain cortical activity. But we know there is no identifiable organ called the mind. There are the things always in our head that everyone agrees are thoughts. But at any rate, I would see all sorts of ways that to me, I haven't told you all of them because some of them were so obscure, I guess. I just Anyway, I've seen so many, but that was one that I still recall that I was fooling around as I did constantly about, you know, I'm just having to put words on this that I didn't necessarily use with myself. If it, The reason I point that out is so that you don't really have to imitate some specific way, but I was always sort of non-verbally just trying to look and to ponder what is this thing, this thinking, and that everyone calls themselves, what purpose does it serve? Now, I'd already discounted and realized that the mind serves a great purpose, that thinking does, as I point out, that it makes possible the life we lead today. It makes possible us living something above a brutish level, that we can alter not only the environment, but through thinking, through the, our brain's ability to do that, which we call thinking, we have also a singular ability to alter our behavior outside of instinctive programmed patterns to certain degrees. But even beyond all that, I would constantly look for ways to describe it to myself. That what purpose does thinking serve the rest of the time? And this one, I can still recall it. It was so good. The presence of thoughts creates in each person the illusion that they are in control of their life. just one of those. I hate to exaggerate, but I can still recall that I almost wanted to fall on the floor and roll around because I realize it does. That's one of the things I can describe it other ways than I have, but tell me that I'm not correct. Don't even analyze the sentence further. Don't question whether the sentence is valid or not. Just take it as a proposal. Well, ordinary people do believe to varying degrees, but they, as a rule, they believe that they are in control of their life. Now, we all know that everyone will claim under certain conditions that circumstances can uh, have an unusual uh, impact on their life. The, the unexpected can occur. But if you just ask an ordinary sane person, just answer me yes or no. It's not a trick question. Do you feel like that you, that is, that each person is, by and large, in control of their life? The person goes, well, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's freedom of will, freedom of choice, <coughs> independent thinker, independent spirit, whatever it is, but does not, is not each person within limits, within physical limits, the laws of gravity and everything else, and laws of heredity, biology, but it is every human including you, sir, madam, uh, are you in charge and control of your life? People say yes. I happen to know the truth. And it all hit me at once in this one little area that that is one of the things that thinking, when it's not engaged in any useful activity, which to me is the whole challenge, the whole problem that we've always called being asleep, because as long as the mind's involved with problem-solving, no one thinks about being awake or being asleep. And so the rest of the time, but it hit me, is one of the things it does, just for this complete, just meandering, just this yammering, this continual talking about itself, rehashing the past, rejuggling, reconfiguring the past, speculating on the future, 
being so repetitive that it's a good thing our memories, as far as I'm concerned, are not any better than they are. Everyone would be nuts, surely. Either that or they have a lot higher threshold for boredom than I do. But just every now and then, as I assume your laughter, the spasmodic laughter in the room, belies or admits, I guess some of you, like me, you get glimpses every now and then, it just hits you. That, my God, I must think that same thing. I don't even want to think about it, but I must think what I just called, what, 10 times a day for 50 years? Man, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> and that's when you sort of send up a silent prayer to the gods and fates that are that you didn't make my memory any better. If I had to be constantly aware, at any rate. So what does this thing do? What's another purpose it does? And tell me, check on it. Tell me if you can't see it. That one thing it does is give the illusion through this continual talking and dreaming, this continual speculation and make-believe of who I am, what I've done, what I'll do in the future, and a whole bunch of vague stuff in the background, just shadow plays are going on. It's kind of you redoing one of Burma's cultural icons, the shadow plays. Except some of it's going on, to me, I've never come up with a better description, but it's like a shadow play going on behind the dream play that's already going on in your mind. And there's just stuff back there that's even further back that it's just layers upon dreams. But anyway, what's one of the things that all of that bullshit does? It gives the illusion that you're in charge of your life. Mm. I started to say no harm done, but with ordinary people, it could be even on the positive ledger rather than just a non-negative entry. It might be a lot of good done. Well, what if everyone was fatalistic, just in the ordinary sense of the word? If they were, I tell you what, if you still, if you were not one of them, you'd be looking for a rocket to get off of this planet, and you wouldn't have long. So rather than anyone who thinks that anyone who's getting small glimpses of the reality behind the notions of freedom of will versus fatalism, predestination, etc. Anyone who's getting any glimpses of it, let me tell you this. Do not, before the time is right, begin to laugh and scoff at other people. You know, ordinary people about how dumb can they be to carte blanche believe that they have freedom of will. Tut, tut. Don't do that. Well, if you do it too much, what if you begin to have some impact on them? I'm telling you, you would not want that. Or to think, what a shame it is that they don't see the truth. I say nay. I say it is not a shame. <laughs> I say it would be a shame that if they were suddenly forced to see the truth, it's not going to happen, but I say it would be a shame, not only for them, which is, doesn't really bother me that much, but it'd be a shame for me, because I'd have to look for another planet. Not even how to drive a rocket. Don't even have a beginner's lesson. Back to the news. Headline of second item. The position you're actually in when this struggle, you begin. There is an eyewitness in each person, but whose telling of any incident conveys the impression that he was, in fact, its instigator. Headline item number three. An enlightened man's declaration of interdependence. Organs, hormones, and neurons decide. Me, my thoughts, my voice, take credit. Officer, arrest that man over there. He was only a witness to the accident, but now he claims to have caused it. Throw him in the slammer overnight, and maybe he'll wake up and come back to his senses. Thoughts give man the freedom unknown to all other creatures whose lives are limited to their programmed responses 
but thoughts also produce in that same area of the brain a sensation of captivity known to none save man. Compared to a snail, man is awake. We should actually say, compared to a snail, homo sapiens with thoughts are awake. But then comes this. Compared to men with thoughts, those who understand thinking are really awake. And a reasonable question. What is it like to understand thinking? It is like understanding nothing. Not the same as having no understanding of anything, mind you. But it's like understanding in an area that everyone else sees as a blank. Non-existent even. It is like an, under is like an understanding of understanding. Like an understanding of nothing. But also of not nothing. If you try and mentally look down inside your own brain into your own thinking, you discover that there can only be either the thinking or you trying to look at the thinking. Then comes this. You're either asleep, as the mystics would say it, or you're aware that you just were. Let's all give a cheer for the term, just were. As in, I just were me. I'm going to stop again for a second. I mentioned that creatures who can think, us, uniquely on this planet, compared to non-thinking creatures, are awake. But then I said, further than that, a man who understands thinking compared to just a man who thinks is really awake. Then I presented a question. What would it be like to understand thinking? And I said it would be to understand nothing. It's like understanding in an area that everyone else sees as a blank. That didn't seem to hit many of you, but enough of you have had big doses and big experiences of walking around in a state that, so to speak, that a Buddha would semi-envy or approve of. And so you must know what I'm pointing to. Because I could put it another way. I could say a man asked some mystic, uh, what is it like to be awake? What does understanding amount to? And he would say, well, you understand just what you were looking for, but you understand, I'll call it a something, you understand a something that the rest of the world, the other six billion people, if you pointed toward it, they would look and not say anything. In other words, I was going to make it up and make it a little rougher than that, but I was afraid I might offend or hurt some. Anyway, some of you might misunderstand it. See, I was going to make it sound like the mystic said, well, you understand a great deal. You understand that which nobody else does. But i got to point this out to you also. What it is you understand, nobody else is even aware it exists. You understand this big old area that to other people is not even on their mental map. How about that? Of course, if, you, if you're a would-be mystic with a cheery outlook, I guess you would interpret that to be, well, it just shows how unique, again, we are. But if you're the kind that's prone to be on the downside... I got to fill it in for you? <laughs> then you can interpret it to, to be, well, you mean when you fully know what's going on, what you know is something that nobody else is even interested in. Okay, I won't argue that. But still, don't get depressed. <laughs> Just because it sounds depressing. And also remember this. If you can be depressed, well, there's actually two things. You may have an imbalance of neurotransmitters which we all got some kind of imbalance but you're also asleep so because you can be depressed without being depressed mm -hmm. 
All right, I'll tell you how if you're going to say it. I'll tell you it's simple. You don't admit it. You don't talk about it, and then you're not depressed. And you can say, well, I still feel like I did. Well, yeah, I know that, but you're not depressed. You have to say you're depressed to be depressed. You can still have that same neural imbalance for what the hell you want. I told you how not to be depressed. I tell you how not to be f fearful. Just don't admit it. And you could say, well, my little heart still pounds when I think about or when I hear somebody say certain words or phrases. Well, okay. Technical problem. Is that all right? Yeah, go ahead. All right, I'll, I'll go ahead then. By the way, uh, if that last couple of minutes didn't make any sense, it was because we're having technical problems. <laughs> I just realized that. Huh. I can't imagine that I'm addressing anyone still of such a priggish nature mentally that you would say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, certainly it doesn't make any sense. Jesus. But anyway, that's my story. Now, well, it's not even my story. I was offering it to you as your story. Well, I didn't understand the last couple of minutes. Well, it was because of technical problems. And, you, and then you can go, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I feel better. That's because you're asleep. Back to the news. Fatalism would be a viable theory only if men were passive in regard to life, only if they were objects that life does stuff to. But we are an active part of life, and thus life cannot do anything to, to us. For things to actually happen to us, we would have to be something apart from life, something outside of life, which is obviously ridiculous upon even minimal consideration. The reality of fatalism would be in the, in the inanity. The reality of fatalism would be in the inanity of the air molecules in your lungs, demanding to know what the hell are we doing here. I use fatalism as an attention grab. Well, as an extreme mental. And of course, obviously a man-made, when you say mental, example of what I'm pointing to. So everyone knows what fatalism is, a feeling that just life is helpless. Uh, even if you didn't subscribe to some identifiable philosophy of total fatalism, but the feeling that constantly stuff is happening to you, that things happen to you, you know, bad luck, sorry turns of events. And why does life do this to me? This is not philosophy. I've been working around to this for the last several weeks, and I don't know when I'll ever actually get to talking about it directly. It's a, well, it's back to the thing I've already mentioned many times. It's the heart of the feeling of being asleep, and it's at the heart of being an ordinary person with consciousness, and that is a, an absolute sensation, an undeniable sensation, an operable sensation that your skin is a dividing line between you in the rest of the world. Even if it's your best friend, your lover, your family, you are not your mother, you're not your lover, you're not your dog, and you're certainly not the rest of, most of the rest of the world, which are you know, foreigners and wrong-thinking people, and get the hell away from me. And so it's always something going on in life that's affecting you, that's bothering you, imposing on you. I don't know of a better example, really, a, a more widely held sensation and belief, but a better example of what being asleep is, that life can do something to you. Don't way that life, and by life, usually to me nowadays, if I have to think anything, I don't know whether you guys 
like it, you can find your own, but I just picture the, just right quick, the entire universe. I mean, not literally, everything that's known to exist, everything of which we can be aware right now through technology and other ways. But for life, that is the universe to do anything to you, you would have to be an object outside of life. You would have to be in some sort of other universe somewhere. You got to be away from life. You got to be cut off from life for it to punch you, for it to kick you, for it to do anything to you. You got to be outside of life. <laughs> and that is the nature of the feeling of I. It is the nature of this sensation that thoughts produce in us that we are a person, that we are a you, a me, that there is me in here, and that I am to varying degrees according to circumstances. But at times, everyone feels that I am truly, I am literally discreet from my environment. So what's going on right now is life mistreating me. I am not a part of these conditions. These circumstances are adverse to me. If I want to push it any further, the only way that such as that could be true, and I shouldn't, well, you people, I can do it. Ordinary people might try to latch onto this. I was going to say, the only way this could happen would be, for instance, that the universe, the entire universe, perhaps it's having a stomachache, and you're where it's having a stomachache. I gave you a way out. I don't normally do that, but I do it to myself. I can, whenever I see something good, I always see the response to it immediately. But see, the reason I can see the response to it, and the reason you should, is the response to it is the environment of it. That is, to see the truth, the idea that you can see the truth is a laugh. For people that say, I've discovered the truth, remember what that father told his son. If you see a man seeking the truth, get the hell out of his way. And his, father, you know, his son said, because he's in such a passionate, excited state? We go, no, because he's nuts. <laughs> the idea of seeking the truth, whatever you find is not outside the environment. You can't find the truth. Now, I'm not going to go down this road very far. It's too old and it's too muddied. To find the truth, if you thought there is the truth, to find the truth, and even if you found something you thought, well, this is the truth, or by God, this is close, this is almost it, but I'll guarantee you this, no one has ever been mentally satisfied that they found the total truth. And of course then, those who have tried, luckily for them, came up with the notion that, well, perhaps man is not destined, man is not capable of ever knowing the complete truth. Of course, if you're religious looking for the truth, it even fits in better. That that would be insulting to God. God won't allow us to know the complete truth. He allows us to know that he knows it. And therefore, we can worship him and you know, look upon him and think, gee, that must be great. <laughs> so we'll see what they miss. What I was going to say, that I'm not going to take you any further. You can do it on your own. Everybody, humanity has done it for you long before now. But the reason that men are never satisfied that they have found the truth is... That such a person that said, I have found the truth, if he could do it, he would also simultaneously, when he would understand that I have found the complete truth, right quick, but he would also understand immediately, I have also discovered the entire non-truth of the universe. There is nothing existing in the universe, in reality, without its environment. You can't picture empty space without something when you picture space. If you picture deep space and them still claiming you know, how much of the universe, how empty it is, that really there's not much of anything out there. And you may picture it, you may look at some science fiction movie and it's all this great space between these blinking stars. Take away the stars, take away the blinking lights in your mind, and now you can't picture empty space. You can't picture nothing without something. There has to be something that you're picturing, like one little twinkling star. Or one way over here, there'll be one way over here on the left, the east, and one over here on the right. 
in this scene. But goddamn, look at all that empty space between them. But take away those two stars, and you can't picture anything. So even if somebody could discover the truth, they would have to discover all the nine truths simultaneously, and ordinary people can't do that. Because they, they believe, well, the nine truth doesn't exist. It's the opposite of the truth. Yeah? Well, it doesn't exist. It's ignorance. It's nine truth. Well, okay, but it's there. And they're going, no, you're just, you're being funny. Well, I wasn't laughing originally. Well, I guess I'm just working my way up to the whole thing about us and the environment. But I don't know how any of you people, you ought to be able to do it on your own to save me from ever getting into this. I can't believe that any of you here or in the other cities have been around all this length of time and whatever you've done on your own. I can't believe that you don't get some sensation just absolutely curious to the point that you can disregard it. Or highly curious and suspect that any time you feel as though something is happening to you. That outside forces, you know, it's always other people. As I pointed out years ago, nobody really takes a typhoon personally. I mean, sure, you hate it for your house to be blown down and one of your favorite aunts disappeared <laughs> and they found her in a treetop. But people don't really take, people don't really take natural disasters personally. When people say, you know, Life has been tough on me. What the hell are they talking about? It's always other people. It's always other people's fault. But at any rate, whenever you feel, I can't believe that you guys don't smell something by now. That any time that you feel and you're within your sane, ordinary desserts, because everyone else under your condition would feel like, well, yeah, something happened, something bad happened to me. These circumstances that just arrange themselves in a certain way in my life. I, I didn't deserve that. That's been really painful. This has dealt me a heavy blow. Forget all the feelings. Forget the way you can explain it away. Don't you smell something? It has nothing to do with morality. It doesn't have anything to do with trying to be humble. It has to do with understanding that life can't do anything to you. The only way that life could do anything to us is you would have to be some kind of object. You'd have to be something outside of life, like a tin can laying down somewhere outside the universe that the universe with one of its feet could kick. Now, movement takes place. But if you move to the right, let's say, if you can still judge that in the universe, but anyway, if you move to the right, if you can see it, or let's say that you're six feet tall and somewhere down about three feet, about halfway up, you suddenly swing out to your right and you kind of create a, you know, a little line goes up for a foot and then it goes out and you look something like a, looking at a clamp from a side view. What that means is if you bulge out halfway up to the right, what does it mean? It means that your environment, we're speaking two-dimensionally, but your environment bulged it out from its view on its right, the environment on your left. There's nowhere to go in this universe. Nobody can get kicked around unless whatever seemed to be kicking them. If you feel like Sicily, then your environment was the toe boot of Italy. There's no doubt things move around, but you understand this, things don't go anywhere. See, that's why I keep hesitating going into it. It's too simple. Back to the news. One man who was already troubled by the kinds of things that troubled the would-be enlightened, troubled himself even further by realizing that did not the thoughts in his brain create in him the sensation of a him, there would be nothing in his life capable of being troubled. 
The liver and lungs are never still, but at least they don't make a big noisy deal out of it. <laughs> Every day this one man would discover something new concerning awakening and wondered if there would ever be an end to it. And the day of the final awakening ever arrived. His eventual realization that there was no end to what he could discover new concerning awakening was his ultimate awakening. And the universe said to a certain man's son, Look, you punk, this universe isn't big enough for the both of us. And the boy's father said, Yes, it is. You know quite well where he came from. And the silent universe fell silent again in recognition of the local truth when it heard it. Which is to say, when it heard it say it. Possible moral, <clears throat> if you want it. You can wake up a little every day and never actually wake up. Or, another version, you can look into the matter of being able to wake up just a little every day and see where that takes you. Hint, it'll take you the only place you can go, which is where you want to go, whether you know it or not. Question, does what you know come from your thinking about things or from your witnessing things? I would say that most people are inclined to say that what they know comes from their thinking about things. But what do men think about other than things they have witnessed? What is routine thinking other than a note-taking and sometimes analyzation of what has been observed via our combined senses. So, what is our usual thinking about things other than an after-the-fact notation thereof? No one save those such as we ever have occasion to think about things that have never nor will ever occur. This fact alone would account for the singularity of our activity. By the way, at least any of you missed that when I say it's only such as we that ever think about things that, will, that have never and will never occur. I just wondered after I did that, after as soon as I was reading it, how many people's minds, well, I know you would all want to, but anyway, did your mind want to say, well, wait a minute, how about these kind of just, you know, kooks that believe they talk to God or that they're visited by flying saucers. That does not belie what I said. See, their mind thinks about things that their mind says could happen. And even those who deny it. There's somebody, I'm still talking about the same thing, by the way. But you know, people who say that they talk to people from outer space. And then every now and then, if it gets enough published or somebody writes a new book that becomes a big seller, then some physicist, some psychiatrist, some cosmologist, some man with real credentials from Harvard or Yale lend up on a new show giving some comment in rebuttal to this. Does anyone understand that that man and the kook who is being talked to by aliens are holding hands. Does anybody understand? You just can't see them. They're up and they're dancing. I'm not sure who's leading. I don't want to think about it. But it's those two men, and I'm talking about, they're slow dancing. Or they could be foxtrotting, but they're holding each other close. Does anybody know that? No one's, in there. No one's ever understood the humor of professional atheists. 
I'm talking about especially intelligent ones, especially ones that want you to sit down and listen or give lectures or write a 10,000, an ongoing string of books and papers, literally, factually proving how people who believe in God can't be correct. And then to take off on all the holy books, trying to prove who actually wrote the Koran, where did Muhammad steal, and they track down, trying to prove, in their sense, they're always their preface, their continuing preface is, that anyone with any intelligence, if you will listen to me, if you'll listen to the facts, rather than these emotional people who are trying to peddle off religion on you, then you will see that I am correct. My view is correct. That's the only possible view. Well, yeah, that's true. Other than his opposing, the other opposing views. At any rate, what I was going to say, if your mind your own thoughts and I said that people such as we are the only ones who ever think about things that have never nor will ever occur so you can think about ordinary people can think about talking to God but as far as their minds concerned that's possible that may not have happened to them but they, they think it's possible and those who say it's not possible do you understand they also believe it's possible or they wouldn't say it's not possible that's why people that say these fishermen that they dig up, these drunk guys down in Louisiana and the down around Gulfport and down in Houston, they're not talking to people in flying saucers. People in flying saucers are not visiting this planet. The person who said that believes it's possible, or he wouldn't say that's not happening. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that such as we think about things that have never happened and never will occur because what we're thinking about is things that the mind can't think about. And so therefore the mind can't say, well, it could happen. <laughs> I put it to you another way for years and years before anybody got it, that anything the mind can conjure up can, could, be, could happen. I don't know whether anybody, I've never wanted to go into that. I just thought enough of you would, if I continue to say it, you might ponder it. And you can think of the most extreme example. I just got through talking about some. And at first you might think, well, it's not true. I'm saying anything that the mind, if it just comes to a human's mind, is possible. Let me put it to you another way. Humans do not get thoughts outside this universe. There's not a hole somewhere. There's not a thought, you know, a thought hut delivery guy that can get in through some secret door in this universe and bring a person here and there some thought from nowhere. In other words, if you have a thought, you understand your environment had that thought. Whether it was your immediate environment, according to whether you think locally or whether your vision and understanding of life is becoming more universal. But any thought you have, you surely don't think that it grew in your own garden by your own hand. Your environment had the thought. Or if it helps, your environment made you have the thought finally. Just moving combinations of circumstances in your environment. And you can look at, as I said, as being your close environment, your work environment, your cultural environment. Or if you get good, you can look at it as being the entire universe, which just blows away anything you can think about. But everything is just turning about. It's not going anywhere, but it's always in motion. And whatever you or anybody else is thinking, the entire environment outside of you, the entire universe was as responsible for that thought as you were. And that's why I say that people like us are the only ones who can think about things that have never and never will occur. Because what we think about are things that the mind can't think about. You just don't realize it yet, most of you, because what you're trying to think about is the mind seeing itself. And as I've said for a long time, I believed it was impossible, and I'm still not prepared to tell you that it's... I'm not prepared to tell you that it's not possible. I'm not prepared to say it's impossible, but I did something. But I can almost, I can still make it sound impossible because I can say for the mind to see itself would require the same thing that the universe be able to ponder itself. And for the universe to see itself is the same thing, if you follow me, as a mirror trying to look into itself. The universe would have to move outside of itself. There'd have to be another universe somewhere, just a corner. I can make it sound like it's impossible. 
I know from experience, though, there's something that's possible that's just this side of impossible. Back to the news. Question. A mirror looking at reflections of itself and wanting to make an alteration therein is like what? A hand attempting to grab itself? A foot trying to step on itself? A tongue struggling to lick itself? A man attempting to dance with himself? Even this! An unenlightened man seeking enlightenment. See, here's the fun house situation of thoughts going in and thoughts coming back out. Because only an unenlightened man has any cause to seek enlightenment, right? But a man unenlightened will forever go about it incorrectly. Or perhaps you'd care more for this version. A man must be aware that he is actually ignorant as to what's going on. to be motivated to find out what is going on. But, until a man realizes what's going on, he is trapped in the irrelevancy that constitutes the natural circumstances of not knowing. In other words, until you know what's going on, everything you think about what's going on is irrelevant. It doesn't matter who you are, it's just the circumstances of not knowing what's going on makes everything you think irrelevant as to what's actually going on. And so that was the humorousy in a tongue trying to lick itself or an unenlightened man seeking enlightenment. I'm glad I could clear it up. Or, as long as you p passively accept that reflections in your brain's mirror to continue pointing to itself and saying, me, 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 frustration and disgust can be all too familiar as long as you continue to allow that to happen passively. The way to break out of this petty irritation is to look head on at matters such as these which seekers of enlightenment have historically taken as extraordinarily complex but which are shamefully simple. Just ask yourself for instance, why is it so difficult for you to control your mind? Why is it so hard for you to remember yourself, to continually observe your inner self? Now the strangest news item of the day. A man in Oklahoma for years believed that the words men speak are synonymous with what they're thinking. That words are simply a verbal manifestation of thought. But today he has announced that upon finally giving this notion a simple look-see, he has discovered that what he might say at any given instant may bear no relationship whatsoever with what is going on in his thoughts. He says that he is truly astounded by this realization and flabbergasted that he didn't bother to realize it before. Uh, I can't resist telling you that this is one of those, if I didn't make it clear, but this is one of those that I can still recall the day that I saw this in a particular way. I hope you don't miss it. I shouldn't say that. I hope you're all so smart that you go, well, shit, I knew that. I like being around my intellectual betters. But I've even said, and never made a big deal out of it, but that I'll even mention that thoughts and words are synonymous, or you can, you know, there would be no thought without words. We do have pictures go through our mind, but we wouldn't have pictures of things. We just wouldn't be conscious. We would have no thought without words. And I have uh, said, and if I'd ask myself, you know, or is what you say, is that reflective? You know, just generally speaking, is that reflective of what you're thinking at the time? 
not even taking into account that you don't know what you're going to say next because you don't know what you're going to think next, but at least what you're saying is not just coming out of nowhere. You know, you're, it's the cortex. And there is a controlled tongue and speech, and they're, they're up in the higher areas of the brain, the new brain that animals do not have. But the thought and words, that words are a reflection, they're a manifestation of your thinking. And one day it hit me that that's not true. It may be true at any particular time, but at any particular time, it is not necessarily true. And I tried years ago to tell one person to check because I just had a feeling that nobody was going to... Anyway, some things I think that people are just going to find out for themselves. But I tried some time back to tell this to somebody, and they looked at me just absolutely blank. They didn't deny it. I didn't expect them because I know that they tried to consider what I was saying, but uh, it, it just hit them. It didn't hit them. It didn't get the result I was expecting. So I don't know whether it will with you. Like I said, maybe I, again I'm just behind, and I'm stupid. It took me a long time. But are you aware of the fact? If you're not, it should floor you. It should make you giggle in your pants. That you can be talking and what you're thinking about be two different things. And I'm not talking about shit about people that's, you know, telling his wife, oh, that phone number you found. You know, I don't know who that is. And his thoughts are, well, shit, does she know it's that waitress that I was out with last night? Does she know that that's her name? I'm not talking about people trying to lie, trying to say something, as they call it, and they're, they're actually thinking when they say yes, they mean no. Did you sleep with her? No, dear, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that your thoughts bear no relationship to what you're saying. That you're talking about one whole area and just going on, and you're not even thinking anything related to it. If that don't wake you up a little bit more, of course it won't necessarily because you can see it and be floored and get up and what? Forget all about it. <laughs> But I'm here to make you remember it. <laughs> well, I'm saying that should be a whole school of psychology. That could be a whole school of metaphysical learning. I don't know what it could be. Because all of it is old stuff. Nobody knows what they're going to say next. I think I've proven that to your satisfaction. You should have to your own. But also, every now and then I point out that you don't know what you're going to think next. You can say you do, but then it gets into this. Well, what were you thinking just before you decided that I'll think this? What led you to think that? You understand, it will not, there's no way that that belief will survive. And most people just won't put up with even talking about it. Are you responsible for your thoughts? Well, yes. Uh -huh. Who else would be? And so what you think. I mean, it comes from you, that in a sense, you decide, well, I'll think the thought I just had, I, I decided I would do it. Well, yeah. All right, just before you had that thought, let's call it thought X. Just before you had that thought, what was in your mind was, I believe next I'll have thought X. And somebody might go, well, you know, I don't believe. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. So I say, okay. So that was pre-thought X. Let's say, decision to think X. Let's call it that thought. And they go, okay. They go, all right, before you had pre, I'll decide to think X thought, you were, what were you thinking then? That, well, let's see, I got to decide what to think next, so I think I'll decide that I'll decide to think next thought X. And by then, of course, people are beginning to have intellectual hernias. And <laughs> nobody wants to deal with it. I say nobody. No one's mind can deal with it because you've reached down to the poor little mind and you grabbed its lower sphincter and you turned it inside out. And all the time trying to talk to it and it explained itself reasonably. Like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't get so excited, sir. I can explain myself. No, you can't. Well, I would if you would shut up. At any rate, as I was going to say, in one sense, even to me, I'll speak for myself, it was all the pieces of it were old hat that under ordinary conditions, I don't know what I'm going to think next, and nobody else does. I don't know what I'm going to say next. I'm talking about if I was an ordinary person. I'm just aware of it. And so why should it be a surprise? I just never fit together. 
if both of those are beyond my control, then why is this a surprise? Why did, why did somebody ever realize? Why didn't it take me so long to just realize I can just be talking right of a storm, just talking on at some length, in some detail, making good sense, and be thinking about something entirely different. Does any wonder I have so much fun? I just, I still worry about you people. Sometimes I tell you stuff like this and I look out, it's all right. I'd rather see you looking sincere and thoughtful than to be sleeping. But I see you looking very serious like, hmm. Which is all right, because I, I did hmm for many years, but if you try to look at it head on, you get past hmm and it's just funny. Well, that and embarrassing, personally. <laughs> How come it took me so long to realize that? Well, so much for the man in Oklahoma. The less civilized, that is, mentally oriented, that people are, the less technological progress they experience. Due to their lacking of view of their environment as being something apart from them to be manipulated or overcome. Such people feel one with it and thus do not enjoy a more sophisticated form of distraction. <laughs> well, I'll save the rest. It's still getting closer and closer to a man and his environment, his apparent environment. Until I going to it more in detail myself it helps a little one thing that I always I was trying to give you some way to think about it I was trying to think of close as I could describe of me thinking about the matter after I saw it it's this anytime I feel like that I'm witnessing anything or maybe I'm watching other people listening to other people talk or reading something and them talking about just ordinary sane people about well, such and such happened to me or such and such is an ongoing problem. Maybe me looking at, you know when it's the same thing, but looking at other people's describing of their circumstances in their life or of me feeling it. But the point is to realize that you are asleep. Me, them, anybody is a real, the reality of what we call being asleep as long as you believe that, I mean this literally, as long as you believe that there's any difference whatsoever between you and everything else. And it's not some kind of spiritual mumbo jumbo that we're all part, you know, we're all God's children. We all are, but you gotta understand what that means. If we're all God's children, remember in this universe, there is no back door. You can't go out and play. It's just there is no difference. It means something to me. It really means something. More than it's, but anytime you're believing and you're thinking, the voice in you is whining, your experience, the sensations you're having, of course, of what feeling you're thinking about it, but the, some feeling. And it's always, when I say feeling, it's going to be some passion or it wouldn't reach your thinking level. There's some between you and the rest of the world, you and some other person, you and some group of people, you and some other the theories, the ideas of other people, the collective intelligence of some local group of people. And it's your feeling like, well, rah, 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 you know. What the hell's wrong with people? What the hell is going on here? You're an idiot. No, you're worse than an idiot. You're just absolutely blind. You're a blind amoeba in the petri dish of life. And you can't get out. And there's no difference between you and the rest of the amoebas. There's no difference between you and the petri dish. You're dancing with yourself. Everybody is mentally. Well, everybody is in every other way. It's the three or four dimensional reality of, you know, eat and be eaten. It's a four dimensional of you only have, every time you move, your shadow moves. Every time you move, the air moves. Every time you move, the environment moves. But also, every time the environment cares to move, you move. But that's one of the things that thoughts do to you. Back to number one news I'm tonight. 
thoughts create the impression in people, ordinary people, that they are in control of their life. But how? The environment does something to you, and you think, wait a minute, I'm not going to stand for that. It's though that's an expression of your individuality. Wait a minute, I don't have to, I don't have to silently put up with this shit. What are you doing? You're noting that you've been pushed around. You're noting that things change. You're noting that life's alive. But by noting it, that thing, thoughts in us, they're taking notes, they're witnesses to incidents. But you remember the person that made the, that asked the officer to go arrest that man? The man was thoughts because he was a witness to this accident or this incident. I turned it into an accident scene that this witness over there is now claiming that he caused the accident. We wouldn't be where we were, where we are today, did not humans feel separate from the environment. But you also wouldn't be what we call asleep. Too late to worry about it. <laughs> and I'll tell you something else. I threw this in a couple of nights ago and nobody seemed to react. Everybody feels somewhat separated from the environment. Even people that don't think about it, you just do. If you think, you feel separate. And nobody suffers over it more than mystics. Or I should say my kind of mystics. And when I say suffer over it, you understand, I mean suffer now and not necessarily. No one experiences it more. No one feels it more. And I assume you also get the unsaid part that it's not necessarily well-founded. It's not even necessarily founded. But then you're left with this. How can anything not be at least founded if it's in the universe? Well, you got me. But note this. Founded is not judgmental. To say something is founded, that means it's found in this universe. So you can't either reject it or embrace it, unless you're an idiot. Well, I reject that idea. So let's see. Now that means that it will henceforth, by you just saying that you reject that idea, that it has been banished from the universe. <laughs> Hell, it hadn't even been banished from your universe. And it never will be as long as you reject it. No, no, I rejected that years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. I actually remember, oh, I actually remember the day I decided I'd reject it. I'll tell you, the day I quit believing in that. Well, I'll be. <laughs> Does everybody get it? Waltzing Matilda. Of course, you got to understand everybody's name's Matilda, and you just, you waltz around for 60 or 70 years until you drop. And all the time, pushing and shoving on some other people and other ideas, and you don't realize you're dancing with yourself. That is, you're dancing with the universe. You're dancing with the environment. And, of course, I keep putting it from our view, really the view I keep wanting to get into and keep putting off is that environment is dancing with us. I've been trying to soften you up with all these periodic mentions about fatalism. Because rather than talk about us dancing with the universe and everything we do also affects the universe, an equal view, it's not better, but in a sense it's better because it's never used. Is the universe is dancing with us and we're continually giving in to the universe. We dip, we dance backwards. It's not either true or not true, one way or the other. But I put it to you this way, consider it this way. Look at you, picture you, and now picture the rest of the universe. <laughs> Now I ask you, if you're a betting man, <laughs> if you just have the ability, you don't have to you know, study uh, in particular field. I'm just asking, are you good at just giving a quick measuring up of things? Just that you can make a snap judgment that's pretty good. So we've got you over here, and then we've got the rest of the universe. I mean, could you come to some sort of, you know, pretty rapid decision 
just a snap judgment, a comparatively, a snap comparative judgment. Uh, last thing. How about this? Any sane view of this, any sane ordinary person would say this. If you jump in the water and you swim, then you're swimming. Your action is what makes the water splice, right? You cut your way through the water. The water gives way. It splashes out of the way. When you kick below your, the water rushes away from your feet and your legs. Does anybody understand that the water is as much swimming you as you're swimming the water? That's the best. I'm not going to try to go any further tonight. It, it doesn't sound right to the mind at first. I'm telling you, it is exactly right. You look out and it's a placid lake until a person jumps in and then their movements causes that, the environment of that water to become agitated, to move, to make way, to give. Then you know, once your, your leg comes up out of the water after doing a kick, you understand the suction, as we call it, the water rushes back where your leg was taking up room and that's when you feel the pressure trying to pull your leg back down after you made a kick. It's like you're fighting the environment. You're fighting the water and the water is giving way. It's how you're able to swim. That's a reasonable explanation, except for this. If we were water molecules instead of humans, we would see that same situation, just the opposite. And you can do it, and it's a fact. Except an ordinary person can't see it because if they could, which they can't, without what it'd do to them, it'd just destroy them. It'd destroy the illusion that they had a self, and it would destroy the slightest illusion that yes, I'm in charge of my life. <laughs> I say what I want to say. I think what I want to think. Every time I even say such as that, I can't. But I picture who? Oh, Benny Hill, paying that little bald guy on the head. You know, pet, 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 pet. McGee or whatever his name was. He, you know, you know that little old man, and he would always be doing something. And Benny taking advantage of him, and he'd just turn around, and they would have that little sound effect. And go, he'd just pat him on the head. Sure you are. You're a nice little man. You're in charge. Now run along and play. <laughs> or in our case, run along and try to wake up. Run along and fret over it. Fret, 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 fret. <laughs>